Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. The topic for today is a good one because it's tied into the geopolitical theater that's going on. It's tied into the inflation that's going on. It's tied into everything that the American public is dealing with. And so I thought it'd be a great topic to discuss the Jones Act and how it affects everybody's life in a negative way. And much like government laws, programs, and regulations, it started out with the best intentions, but the unintended consequences of this act that was passed more than 100 years ago is seriously adversely affecting people's lives today. It's a good um, topic to discuss, seeing how the price of oil just went up 55 cents in two days since the uh, beginning of this whole Russia-Ukraine thing. The problem with 100-year-old laws that were passed in a different era. So back 100 years ago, this country made a lot of shit. You know, we produced things here. We made everything in-house and we were a net exporter. We didn't need other countries' stuff. So any laws and stuff that were passed back then, that was the landscape they were looking at. Now, if you fast forward to today, we don't make shit in this country. And I say that a lot, but we don't. We don't. You can see how it's going to be, you know, counterintuitive to have a, a law still on the books from 100 years ago that was made when we had a completely different set of parameters in our country. Today, we're going to get into the Jones Act, or otherwise known as the Merchant Marine Act of 1920. Okay, so the Jones Act deals with the coastwide trade in the U.S., right? So it requires all goods transported by water between U.S. ports to be carried on a ship that has been constructed in the United States, that flies a United States flag, that's owned by a United States citizen and crewed by United States citizens who are permanent U.S. residents. Okay, so this was enacted, introduced by Senator Wesley Taylor in 1920. This was put into effect after World War II when it was imperative to get supplies from the U.S. to the European theater. And they wanted to make sure that they had access to merchant ships to commandeer in order to get our supplies to go where they needed, right? So if you remember back to World War I, the only thing that kept the troops going was supplies, right? Ammunition, tanks, food, where that war was fought on so many fronts all throughout Europe. It was a logistical nightmare for countries to get the supplies to the people on the ground fighting. So the, after World War I, the, the Congress is like, shit, if this happens again, we need to be able to call into service all of our merchant marine ships and just send them to wherever the, the, the new war is and to bring our stuff there because they realized the only way they won World War I was by getting the supplies where they needed to go. And in 1920, this made tons of sense because we had a lot of ships that fit that criteria. There was an appetite to invest in our own shipping infrastructure. You know, we didn't have 18-wheelers back then. The way you got goods around the country was by boat or rail. Okay, so to recap, the only way to get American goods to American ports was to use American ships with American crews that were built in America, that paid taxes in America, like everything had to be American. Okay, 75% of the crew had to be U.S. citizens. Even the repair work for a U.S. flagged vessel was limited to 10% of its weight. So this restriction 
largely prevented the U.S. ship owners from refurbishing their ship overseas, right? So they couldn't, if the repair necessary for the ship was over 10% of the weight, it, they couldn't do it anywhere else but the U.S. And then along comes the Merchant Marine Act of 1936, where they doubled down on a lot of the shit even more, and they re- increased the crew requirements to 90% of U.S. citizens. So again, 1920, 1936, this is not a big deal. We have plenty of ships to do this. And we have all the production in our country. So no big deal, right? But again, the unintended consequences of government are going to start to rear its head as we go through the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and then we start outsourcing everything. We start manufacturing everything in this country. So now there are less goods made in our own country, more goods made overseas. Unintended consequences of this act the cost for everything in the U.S. went up. So according to the U.S. Department of Transportation, the cost of operating a U.S. flagged vessel was 2.7 times the cost incurred by foreign flagged counterparts. U.S. flagship cost 2.7 times more to run. The crews on that U.S. flagship, they're paid 5.3 times more, right? Because they're all Americans. And the U.S. flagged shipping companies pay a combined 38% in U.S. taxes, you know, which foreign flag ships don't pay. And in in 2016, American-made ships cost between $100 and $135 million to build. That's three times what it would cost on the world market. It's no wonder by 2010, there's only 115 U.S. flag ships available to handle our U.S. coast-wide trade. And out of those 115, there's only five tankers. You see how the the costs to operate in this field were so high. And what happened is government in like the 50s and 60s stopped investing money into this area because you need subsidies to offset these costs to make it competitive. But Congress started losing their appetite to fund the shipbuilding infrastructure, all the things that go along with building ships and keeping the cost down. So that's why you went from 430 ships in 1950 down to 115 in 2019. They cost too much to make. They cost too much to crew. They cost too much to fix. Again, they started this policy in the 20s. It made sense. Decades later, it doesn't make sense because A, the government stopped investing in the sector, and B, we don't make shit. So now we're importing way more stuff than we're exporting. Okay, does that make sense? And when I was a kid, my dad used to always tell me that it cost more to bring oil into this country from this country, right? It was cheaper to bring oil in from another country to the U.S., which in my head was just crazy. And I never knew why, but it's because of the Jones Act, because most of our oil refineries are on the the East Coast of the U.S. So let's look at a per barrel cost to ship oil to those East Coast refineries. If we wanted to get oil from Nigeria... To the east coast of the U.S., you're looking at a dollar forty-five to a dollar seventy per barrel of crude oil. You want to bring that same crude oil from Saudi Arabia to to the United States east coast, a dollar ninety per barrel. You want to bring it from Canada to the east coast, a dollar twenty per barrel. You know what it costs to bring oil from our own Gulf Coast to our own east coast? That's five to six dollars a barrel. So that's three times as much to bring it from freaking Texas to the freaking Carolinas, three times as much than bringing it from freaking Saudi Arabia to the East Coast. 
And it's not just oil, right? So think of all the consumer goods that we need to get to our country, mainly our islands like Hawaii, um, Alaska, Puerto Rico. You know, think about this. The only way you can get goods to Hawaii is to have a ship from the U.S. bring stuff to Hawaii and back. You don't think the Hawaiians would benefit from lower prices if a, if a ship leaving China could stop in Hawaii on the way, drop off some stuff, pick up some of their exports, and then continue on to the U.S.? No, we need an American ship with an American crew to go from the U.S. to Hawaii. So look, picture that. You have a ship, ships crossing each other. Fucking in, in the middle of the Pacific. You know, it's not the most efficient thing. And in shipping, efficiency equals lower costs. And same for Alaska and Puerto Rico, right? We don't produce enough stuff in our country to ever make this efficient. Goods come into a port, they got to get back on another ship and go back out. It's, it's ridiculous. Another example of how the Jones Act is hurting Americans is, I don't know if you remember, April 20th, 2020. That's when oil prices went negative. Right, so everyone was calling up and asking if I'd pay them to buy oil. But it is right. They, the prices were negative, and they would pay you to take their oil because they had no place to put it, right? The circumstances that created this was everybody's storage throughout the whole world was full. There was no place to put the oil, okay? And we couldn't have some floating storages like most countries do where they allow tankers to fill up and just sit offshore until it's needed because we don't have Jones Act eligible tankers to do that so we couldn't so we couldn't stockpile this really cheap crude oil to be used at a later date you know probably would have been helpful now that we're dealing with oil prices that have gone up 339 percent since april of 2020 april 2020 it was 77 cents a gallon trading on the nymex and today march 2nd 2022 it's 338.30 you know, we, we just do not have enough vessels to move the crude oil that we make in our own country to the refineries, which is crazy because it just we, we can't alleviate the oversupply if it ever happens. And we just continue to import oil from other countries, you know, and it's if you think like the world's swimming in oil's good, yeah, you would think that. But in a world or economy that's drowning in oil, that's bad. So this is what happens. Right. So producers are going to have to shut down production. They're going to see all their profits and income dry up. Then they got to lay off all their workers. And if it gets real bad, they're going to seek bankruptcy protection. And then the cycle starts all over again once they're, they're, there's a spot or a place to actually get rid of their fuel. You know, you can't just keep bringing the American producers on and offline, right? Because over $100 a barrel, they can make money. As soon as it goes under, well, they got to shut it down. And then in a case like 2020, they had to shut it down because there was no place to fucking put the oil. We can't help them with that because of the freaking Jones Act. So why is the Jones Act still in the books? This is something that fascinated me because I'm like, how can there be lobbies that are still lobbying Congress to keep this thing in the books? I mean, every couple of years, there's a scenario where we get hammered as taxpayers and, and we pay so much more money because of the Jones Act. It inevitably comes up for discussion yet it never fucking changes. So one of the big reasons to keep the Jones Act, and this is pretty much actually written in the preamble of the act, is this is what the government thought, right? So they said, it is necessary for the national defense and for proper growth of its foreign and domestic commerce that the United States shall have a merchant marine of the best equipped and most suitable types of vessels sufficient to carry the greater portion of its commerce and serve as a naval or military auxiliary in a time of war or national emergency. 
So again, going back to the World War I thing, this is also viewed by the military as a security issue because they do not want foreign ships to have total free reign of the U.S. waterways. So they'll say, well, if we repeal the Jones Act, you'll have foreign ships that can come into our ports and they can even go up the Mississippi River. Okay, like they're going to attack the Mississippi River, right? I mean, do they forget they spend $778 billion a year on the military? So, I mean, if the only, if one of the biggest reasons to repeal the Jones Act is our national security, why don't we close down some of the 1,000 U.S. bases that aren't on this country and build some bases on the Mississippi River or have a bigger naval presence in our waterways and stop playing fucking war games in other people's oceans? It's, you see how silly this is? So they, they play the, the national security card to not repeal this fucking asinine act, which made sense 100 years ago, but does not do anything but hurt the American public now, and they hide behind national security. If you ever wonder why oil prices are high, if you ever wonder why the costs of everything keep going up, it's a lot of reasons. But one of the biggest ones is we have inefficient shipping capabilities to get our own products to our own country. So this seems like a really easy fix in my eyes, and it would help everybody in the United States. It won't help the current shipping companies that have a monopoly on the 115 Jones Act eligible ships. I'm guessing it's those people that are lobbying very hard to keep this on the books because they're benefiting. This is why lobbyists and the government having this much power is bad because all the people are getting hurt by this act, but there's enough money and campaign donations going around to keep it on the books and to keep screwing the people.